We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Godspeed, John Glenn. Roger, zero G, and I feel fine. Get my feet out. Okay, I'm out. How does it feel for the United States to be the new record holder? At last, huh? About four or five times more work than what we anticipated, and the pilot and the is completely locked over, really frozen over. In that baby light, there's no doubt about it. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Hello and welcome. This is Michael Annis, and you're listening to episode 85 of the Space Rocket History Podcast. And now, Jiminy 11 with Charles Pete Conrad and Richard Gordon, Part 3. We left off last time shortly after Richard Gordon's completion of his first EVA. The next day, Conrad and Gordon skipped breakfast to get the cabin ready before they used the Agena engine to boost their orbit. They wanted things stowed away properly just as though it was a re-entry they were preparing for. So they suited up, closed their face plates, and stowed everything they could. As the crew made a pre-firing check of the Agena, they noticed that it was not accepting commands immediately. Orders had to be repeated before they were acknowledged. Conrad told Capcom Bean about this and learned that the Agena was responding properly. The trouble was apparently in the spacecraft displays. To that, Conrad complained, It's a heck of a time to have a glitch like that show up here. But the Canary Islands communicator told them everything was fine and to go for the burn. Here's the clip. The message was GO for PPS BURN. PPS stands for the Primary Propulsion System for the Agena. At T plus 40 hours 30 minutes into the flight, in the 26th orbit, Conrad triggered the firing signal to the target vehicle's main engine. For 26 seconds, it belched a fiery stream to add 279 meters per second to their speed. Whoop-de-doo, Conrad yelled. That's the biggest thrill of my life. Since they faced the Agena, the acceleration forced the crew forward onto their seat harnesses. They watched the great round ball of Earth recede. What about orbital mechanics now, they wondered. Were they going to stop? Then a message came in from Carnarvon, which was... 1,372 kilometers below. Hello up there. This was Conrad's reply. Conrad continued, quote, I can see all the way from the end around the top, about 150 degrees, end quote. The Capcom 
Balan Bean asked him to expand upon his impressions from his high vantage point. Conrad continued, quote, It's really blue. That water really stands out, and everything looks blue. The curvature of the earth stands out a lot. There are a lot of clouds over the ocean, but Africa, India, and Australia are clear. Looking straight down, you can see just as clearly. There is no loss of color, and details are extremely good. End quote. During the trip up to their higher orbit, the crew had not merely been sightseers, although they did use the tourist's favorite instrument, the camera. Gordon snapped synoptic terrain and synoptic weather photographs. The weather experiments needed cloud cover, and the terrain had to have clear views of the land. Conrad's at-a-glance description of the eastern hemisphere thus elated the principal investigators. They eagerly awaited the more than 300 pictures clicked off. Radiation dosage at high altitude had caused some concern before the mission began. The Van Allen Belt, which is two donut-shaped radiation zones around the Earth, was not constant about the planet, being denser in some regions than other. High apogee orbits for Gemini 11 were therefore planned to take place over Australia because the level of radiation there is comparatively low. Now Conrad reported to Carnarvon, quote, Our dose meter reads 0.3 rads per hour up here, end quote. Then Gordon amended this saying, quote, Houston, radiation is revised to 0.2 rads per hour, end quote. To which Capcom Alan Bean replied, Sounds like it's safer up there than a chest X-ray. Conrad later stated that the crew of Gemini 11 received less radiation at 1,570-kilometer orbits than the Gemini 10 crew had at 830-kilometer orbits. Over the United States in the 28th revolution, Conrad used the Agena to lower the apogee of the orbit firing for 23 seconds, decreased speed by 280 meters per second, and lowered the spacecraft orbit from 1,372 to 304 kilometers. Another mission objective achieved. After their high-flying excursion, Conrad and Gordon were supposed to get ready for the next EVA period. Instead, Conrad told Beam, we're trying to grab a quick bite to eat. We haven't had anything all day. The Capcom replied, Be our guest. After they had eaten, they still had plenty of time before the exercise was to start. In Revolution 29, above Madagascar, Gordon opened the hatch and watched the sunset. Gordon stood on the spacecraft floor, held down by a short tether, like the one Collins had on Gemini 10. It allowed him to forget about maintaining body position and left both hands free for his task. He mounted cameras in the brackets without any difficulty. Most enjoyable, he said, of his two-hour stand-up period. So relaxed and well-oriented was he that the monitoring physicians reported from a medical viewpoint 
this stand-up EVA was relatively uneventful. Gordon's main task during the two-night passes of open-hatch work was to photograph several star fields using the S-13 ultraviolet astronomical camera. Because of his dirty window, Conrad had some difficulty in pointing the spacecraft-slash-Agena combination in the right direction, but Gordon, with his unimpaired view into open space, coached his commander into position. Agena stabilization was somewhat erratic, but the docked vehicles were steady enough to give excellent results in about one-third of the photographs. Although neither man was really tired after the first half of the picture snapping, Conrad considered closing the hatch and resting until the next night pass. He asked the Hawaii Capcom if there was enough oxygen. The answer was yes, but the skies were clear over the U.S. and they might want to take more pictures there. In that case, said Conrad, the hatch would stay open. Soon the crew marveled at the view of their home, Houston. They passed quietly across Florida and out over the Atlantic with nothing to do. Suddenly, Gordon broke the silence to announce that they had just taken a catnap. Quote, There we were. He was asleep hanging out the hatch on his tether, and I was asleep sitting inside the spacecraft. End quote. That's a first, Capcom John Young answered. First time sleeping in a vacuum. Boy, my legs are tired, Gordon said after closing the hatch. I'm tired all over, man. I'm beat, Conrad answered. This time, their fatigue stemmed mainly from concentration on an experiment. It bore little relation to the hard physical struggle Gordon had endured outside with the umbilical. Now the crew rested and discussed the next major event, the tethered vehicle exercise. There were two ways of carrying out this experiment. In the first, called gravity gradient, the docked vehicle combination assumed the position of a pole always pointing toward the Earth's center. The Agena engine nozzle represented the tip of the pole, and the Gemini adapter section on the spacecraft, the top of the pointer. Once the pole was pointed correctly, the crew could then back the spacecraft out of the Agena docking cone slowly until the 30-meter tether became taut. If properly positioned, a slight thrust of only 3 centimeters per second would keep the line taut, and the now elongated pole would drift around the Earth with the two vehicles maintaining the same relative position and attitude. If Conrad and Gordon failed to execute this procedure, they were then to try the spin-up or rotating mode that had been studied by McDonnell. In this case, once the two vehicles were undocked, Conrad fired the spacecraft thrusters to induce a rotation of one degree per second in the Gemini-Agena combination. The two craft would then continue on their orbital path 
with their mutual center of gravity at a specific point on the tether around which they would do a slow, continuous cartwheel. Centrifugal force would be expected to keep the line taut and the two vehicles apart. While the tether itself provided centripetal force to keep the two spacecraft in equilibrium. Over the tracking station in Hawaii, the crew separated the two vehicles cautiously to try the gravity gradient method. Here's the clip. After undocking, there was enough initial tension in the tether to upset the Agena and to cause the Gemini spacecraft to move to the right toward the Agena's docking adapter. Conrad quickly adjusted the spacecraft's motion and the Agena righted itself without difficulty. Conrad continued to back away from the Agena, but the tether got stuck probably in the stowage container when about 15 meters had been released. Conrad gave a burst to his thrusters to jerk the cable free. Then it hung up again, this time on some Velcro that had been used to hold Agena's end of the line until the spacecraft was loose. Conrad had to shift the spacecraft out of vertical alignment to peel the tether off the Velcro pad. This disturbed the Agena again, and there were still about three meters of line to be pulled out. To do the non-spin-up maneuver, as Conrad called it, the spacecraft and the Agena had to be tethered and aligned vertically to Earth. The engineers expected that it would take about seven minutes for the Agena to stabilize. When the target seemed to be taking it longer, they feared something was wrong with the Agena's attitude control system and told the crew to abandon the attempt and proceed to the second mode. While attempting to perform the second mode, Conrad tried to start the rotation. He found he had another problem. He could not get the tether taut. It seemed to rotate counterclockwise. Surprised, he reported to Young, quote, This tether's doing something I never thought it would do. It's like the Agena, and I have a skip rope between us, and it's rotating and making a big loop. Man, have we got something weird going on up here. This will take somebody a little time to figure out, end quote. Strangely, although the spinning line was curved, it also had tension. I can't keep it straight, Conrad muttered. For ten minutes, the crew jockeyed using the spacecraft thrusters to straighten the arc. Finally, they got an even tether, but neither of them could even recall exactly what they had done to stop the odd behavior of the rope. When the tether was taut... Conrad rolled his spacecraft and bumped the thrusters to begin the slow cartwheel motion. Although this had been done gently, so to speak, Conrad felt he must have stretched the tether because it had a big loop in it when he stopped firing. Conrad really wanted to try more things, but the ground engineers told him to leave it alone. So Conrad and Gordon waited. 
Sure enough, centrifugal force took over the line and smoothed it out. The vehicles at either end of the rope wigwaggled, but they soon settled down without the pilots having to do anything. A 38 degree per minute rotation rate was obtained and remained steady throughout the night pass. The crew became so accustomed to the sight of the Agena hovering nearby that they rarely bothered to look at it. Instead, they ate their evening meal. Conrad's satisfaction with this station-keeping was soon disrupted. As they passed into daylight, the Hawaii Capcom told him to accelerate the spin-up rate. Somewhat reluctantly, the crew agreed to try. Gordon suddenly shouted, Oh, look at the slack. It's going to jerk this thing all to heck. That's what I was afraid of, darn it, Conrad replied. To the flight director, Charles Worth in Houston, Gordon complained, You just ruined a good thing. When the added acceleration started, the line tightened and then relaxed. The crew felt what Conrad called the big slingshot effect. They were being seesawed in pitch up to 60 degrees. Conrad could not accept this oscillation, so he used the spacecraft's controls to steady his vehicle. To their surprise, the Agena stabilized itself again. Here's the clip. The cover is, uh, is maintaining uh, tension at all times. The rotation rate checked out at 55 degrees per minute, and the crew could now test for a minute amount of gravity. When they put a camera against the instrument panel and then let it go, it moved in a straight line to the rear of the cockpit and parallel to the direction of the tether. The crew themselves did not sense any physiological effect of gravity. After they had been roped to the Agena for three hours, the astronauts ended the exercise by jettisoning the spacecraft docking bar. All in all, it had been an interesting and puzzling experience. There had been some disappointment that the gravity gradient mode could not be completed, but confidence rose when the spinning proved that the station keeping could be done economically. The flight controllers had asked the crew about the remaining fuel on several occasions. They were using less fuel than had been expected, and now there was a chance for some real-time planning on the credit side of the ledger. In the past, real-time planning had been in response to such problems as degraded fuel cells, angry alligators, or whirling spacecraft an exercise that had been in a contingency plan, if something had went wrong, was now fitted into the mission because almost everything had gone right. After the two vehicles separated, Conrad had intended to decrease the spacecraft's speed so Gemini 11 in a lower orbit would pull ahead, leaving the Agena behind. Instead, the flight controllers told him to get ready for what was called a coincident orbit rendezvous. The spacecraft would follow the Agena by 28 kilometers and in the exact orbital path. 
If the plan succeeded, the crew would in essence be station-keeping at a very long range and with very little use of fuel. Because of the change in plan, the separation maneuver would be different. Instead of a retrograde firing so the Agena would trail above and behind them, Conrad and Gordon added speed and height to the spacecraft's orbit so the target passed beneath and in front of the vehicle. When the crew saw the Agena below them, moving swiftly across the South American terrain, they understood why astronauts Stafford and Cernan had trouble keeping their target in sight during the rendezvous from above exercise on Gemini 9A. Next, they fired the thrusters to place the spacecraft in the same coincident orbit as the Agena and trailing it. Three-quarters of a turn around the world, Conrad decreased his forward speed and, as expected, the spacecraft dropped into the Agena's lane 30 kilometers behind the target and with no relative velocity between the vehicles. While doing their long-range distance formation flying, Conrad and Gordon began to work on night image intensification experiment D-15, which they thoroughly enjoyed. This was a test to see if their night vision could be enhanced by equipment that scanned objects on the ground and relayed what it saw to a monitor inside the spacecraft. While Conrad aimed the spacecraft at desired targets, lights of towns and cities, cloud formations, lightning flashes, the horizon and stars and air glow, coastlines and peninsulas, Gordon watched the displays. Each pilot described what he was seeing to the spacecraft tape recorder. Conrad was handicapped by his dirty window, and the glow from the television monitor prevented him from being fully dark adapted. Still, the two revolutions, or about three hours of just riding, watching, and taking pictures, was very pleasant. Perhaps the most exciting sight was the lights of Calcutta, India. Outlined on the monitor was a shape almost identical to an official map of the city. On one occasion during the experiment, the crew noticed the lights of the Agena and asked the ground how far from the target they were. The flight controller on the Rose Knot Victor replied that they were still 30 kilometers behind and closing very slowly. They could expect it to be about 26 kilometers away when they woke up the next morning. But, when the crew broke their sleep period in Revolution 41, the target was 46 kilometers ahead. This, however, presented no problem for the re-rendezvous. The second rendezvous in Gemini 11, like the first, took only one orbit. At T plus 65 hours 27 minutes of flight time, Conrad tilted the spacecraft nose 53 degrees above level flight and fired the forward thrusters. This slowed the spacecraft's speed and moved it closer to the Earth. Now the spacecraft was in a lower orbit than the Agena and ready for the catch-up maneuver. While they waited for the final approach, the crew did the S-30 dim light photography experiment, taking pictures of the Geigenschein and the zodiacal light. 
and they completed the night image intensification experiment, D-15. An hour after the catch-up maneuver began, with his ship almost level and aimed directly ahead, Conrad gave the aft thrusters a burst to raise the spacecraft orbit. Now the Agena floated just above them, its tether pointing straight up. At T plus 66 hours and 64 minutes, Conrad began to break his spacecraft. Six minutes later, he reported that he was on station and steady with the Agena. Gordon noticed that the tether on the target had started waving slowly and surmised that this was caused by the exhaust from the Gemini 11's thrusters. Twelve minutes later, the crew broke away from the Agena for the last time. Conrad suggested that Flight Director Lunny might send up a tanker. The crew would be happy to refuel, remain in orbit, and do some more work. But while this air-to-ground joking was going on, the crew was getting ready to land. There was one significant event left before Conrad and Gordon wrapped up their mission. A secondary objective called for the crew to make an automatic re-entry. The commanders of other Gemini flights had flown their spacecraft down from 120,000 meters using the spacecraft's offset center of gravity to generate lift for changes in direction. This had enabled them to make corrections up to 550 kilometers downrange and 50 kilometers crossrange. Conrad, however, would not fly the spacecraft with his hand controller in conjunction with the computer directions. The spacecraft would follow these commands automatically. At the time of the re-entry, the spacecraft was maneuvered to the appropriate orientation and the equipment adapter section was detached and jettisoned. This exposed the retro rocket module. Then, at T plus 70 hours, 41 minutes, in the 44th orbit of Earth, the retro rockets fired. Conrad and Gordon watched the computer closely. It certainly seemed to be working right. Conrad then in disengaged his hand controller and put the system on automatic. When the first cross-range errors developed, the computer commanded bank angles to change it. On several occasions, the spacecraft displayed an almost human characteristic, hesitating before accepting its orders, but the system recovered quickly and performed beautifully using a minimum of re-entry systems control fuel. The crew radioed, They were right on the money. The accuracy of the automatic re-entry was thoroughly demonstrated when the spacecraft landed within 4.6 kilometers of the USS Guam, which was a seagoing platform for helicopters. As the spacecraft floated down to its landing after T plus 71 hours and 17 minutes, Capcom Young told them, quote, You're on TV now, end quote. Here is the clip of the helicopter pilot just after splashdown. Uh, Atlantic Chief, this is uh, Westland Leader. Gemini 1-1, Sydney report. Parachute has deflated, over. 
Guam reports spacecraft 5,000 yards dead ahead. Atlantic team, this is Westland leader. Flotation gear and three swimmers are in the water. Over. The Gemini 11 flight had ended. Next came the usual round of examining, debriefing, evaluating, and reporting. The Gemini 11 crew had flown a mission almost precisely to the flight plan. There were no malfunctions that affected mission performance. However, early termination of the first EVA proved that NASA still had a lot to learn about spacewalks. Gemini 11 had several significant accomplishments. First, rendezvous and docking in the first orbit, M equals 1. A new altitude record of 739 nautical miles. Gordon set a record EVA time of 3 hours. The tether experiment created a new method of station keeping and a little artificial gravity. Re-rendezvous was added to the flight plan and performed satisfactorily. The first automatic or computer-controlled re-entry and 10 experiments were performed correctly. All told, a very successful flight. Thanks for listening to this archive episode of the Space Rocket History Podcast. If you are financially able, please support the podcast by going to the homepage spacerockethistory.com and clicking on the orange donate button or the Patreon link. Thanks.